Well, I'm happy to be here to preach. Um, this is uh, something that I don't take lightly. And uh, I'm happy to be a member here at Liberty. I always say that. This is a great church. And I'm just, it's a privilege to be in this pulpit. And, and again, it's, it's a, a privilege for me and a blessing. And so I hope it can be a blessing to you as well. And I'm happy. I really prayed that, this, that some people would come out for Wednesday night, even though the pastor's gone. And y'all came. I'm happy to see every one of you in here. So thanks for that. So if you've got your Bibles, we're open up to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, it should be easy to find. Just go to Revelation. It's the book before that. There's only one uh, chapter in the book of Jude. So don't flip too fast. You'll flip right past it. So the book of Jude, as I uh, just kind of, we're going to just cover verses 17 through 25. And the title of the sermon is called Keep Yourselves. Keep yourselves. So Jude is basically a book warning of false teaching, of false, false doctrine within the church, the warning against false teachers, and what God, it's a book of what God thinks about false teachers, right? And it's written to believers. Look at verse 1 here. It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and the brother James to them that are sanctified by God and the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Now, I read that first part and say, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. And I read that and think, could that be said of me? Right? Could that be said of you? Right? Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? And I pray that you are tonight. And if not, then I would encourage you to get on board with that. And so, uh, verse 3, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. That means we have to contend for this faith. That means there's people fighting against this faith constantly, all the time. And we have to contend for it. What's it mean to contend? It means to fight. Sometimes we have to fight for this. And fighting isn't very easy. I'm not much of a fighter. But when it comes to contending for the Bible, I'll fight that every day, right? And, and we should all have that kind of attitude. And I don't think we need to go picking them, but if you are following God, trust me, the fight will find you. And, and I, we have to be ready for that. We have to be ready to contend for that. And uh, so if we're contending for the faith once delivered, we have to make sure that we got the right faith, right? Like what are we putting our faith in, the church, right? Or, or our whoever, someone else, a man? Or are we putting our faith in Jesus Christ? Right? we got to have the right faith. And it's delivered once. Right? We don't have to go to deliver it over and over again every weekend at Mass, right? Amen. Amen. It's delivered once for all. It's done. It's finished. And so we can contend for that truth, right? And so what we have here is a false teaching creeping in the church. It happened then, here in the book of Jude. And I'm going to tell you right now, it happens now. Right? And so we're not somehow protected because we're in 2023. Right? It's the same issues, the same issues that come up with this false teaching. And basically the book of Jude is mostly negative. It deals with a lot of judgment. That's probably why I like the book. <laughs> Just kidding. But, uh, but basically I'm going to cover the verses that are actually positive here tonight. So, you know. But basically, it's about judgment. Like you re look at like verse 7. It says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to the fornication and going after strange flesh and set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Oh, well, that's pretty heavy. Right? And that's kind of where, where it's going is 
verse 8, it talks about defiling the flesh. It's filthy. People are filthy, and, and what they are is they're evil. And in verse 11 there, it says, woe unto them. Boy, that's, woe unto those false teachers. Woe unto them that bring a, a false gospel into the church. And so what are we to do about it, right? We have a, a big-time problem here. And we look at verse 17. What's that word that it starts out with there? But. That's a good word in the Bible. That's, a, that's one of the best words you can come across in the Bible, because now we're going we're gonna to turn a corner. Right? We're going to have a turning point to the positive part. Now, it's very interesting to know when I was studying this that 2 Peter chapter 2 is actually like exactly the same. Like if you read those side by side, they're, they're like, it's as though the same person wrote it. Oh, yeah, he did. God wrote it, right? Amen. And that's, that shows you of how important this, this is. Listen to me, false teaching within the church is a big deal. And it's not something to be taken lightly. We have to pay attention to it. So what, uh, tonight I just want to encourage you to keep yourselves in the love of God and to be warned and to make a difference for God. So I'm just going to read verse 17 through 25. It says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know I need your help tonight. I certainly don't have anything to offer these dear people, but you have everything to offer. And so, Lord, I pray you just use me as an instrument in your hand and that uh, something can take place here that's of eternal value that this not just be a time slot to fill, but it'd be something that we could all be leaving here to be more like Jesus because of. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can gather around it tonight. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I see in this text is basically a problem that there is and then a solution to that problem. Okay, so it's kind of simple. And, uh, I love God's Word because of that, because every time there's a problem presented in God's Word, there's always a solution, Amen. right? And, and it, every time we have a problem in our life, the solution's in the Bible, Amen. right? This book knows everything, Amen. right? And so if we have an issue, we can go to it, right? But I love it. It always presents a, a big-time problem, and then you just keep reading, and then you can figure out the solution. And, I, and I'm so thankful for that every time I read it. And so um, look at verse 17. We'll just kind of go through it here. It says, but beloved... I want to ask you guys tonight, do you, do you guys realize, everyone in here, that God loves you? God loves you. Right? He loves you enough to send His Son. Look, He's saying, beloved. That's His way of saying, I'm telling you this because I love you. Right? Look at verse 17. It says, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, remember these things, and I'm, I'm reminding you of them because I love you so much. Remember the words of the apostles. The importance of the apostles' words. How important are their words? 
That's why we're here today. Amen? So Acts 2.42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking bread and in prayers. That might sound kind of familiar, right? Around here? Yeah. And so Acts 5.28 also says, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And listen to this. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So they filled Jerusalem with this kind of doctrine, with the words of the apostles. And listen to me. We should be filling Rapid City with this doctrine. Right? That's what we should be doing. That's what we need to be doing as a church. We need to take what's going on with the apostles' teaching that we're going to learn from this pulpit, and we need to take it outside the walls of this place, and we need to preach it and teach it to those that don't know it. That's our job. And I'm going to kind of cover more of that as we go, because we have a big-time purpose in all of this. And so we have to remember the words of the apostles. And how do we do that? We have to understand that we do things the way the apostles taught. That's the New Testament. We're a New Testament church, right? And so we're going to do things the way they did them. And if somebody wants to do them different, then they're the false teacher that we're being warned about. And so we have to do what? We have to, he's saying what? Remember the what? The Bible, right? We must remember the Bible. We got to know the Bible. Listen to me, we have to know God's word. That's, we have to know it. We have to be in it and we have to know it. And it's important. And so that's kind of the, the, what to remember. And look at verse 18 is, is kind of the, the warning is... Um, Verse 18 says, How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. If you would turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning there, I'm going to read to you some different warnings that we find in the Bible. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, but I'm going to read to you Acts 20, 29 through 30. says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Right? That's a pretty clear warning. You're there in 2 Timothy 3. I'm just going to read the verses 1 through 9. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. You encouraged yet? It says here, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. So you can turn back to the book of Jude. And as you're doing that, 2 Peter 3.3 says this, Knowing this, first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Right? It's very clear in the Bible what's happening, and it's very interesting to see where all this is coming from. Right? And we, we read about them here, and there'll be mockers. These are people that live to satisfy their own passionate desires. Right? That's a mocker. That's somebody who's going to mock this as somebody who just wants to live for their own passionate desire. Right? They don't want to live for God. They want to live for themselves. And what are they going to do? Look at verse 19. It says, These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. 
right? What are they doing? They're going to separate themselves. What, they, what does that mean? They're going to cause division, right? That's, that's what a false teacher is going to do. If there's ever anyone in the church causing division, they're going to be a false teacher. And it says we just read to separate ourselves from them, right? Because basically, what, what's the idea of the church, right? Uh, turn to Romans 8 real quick. But the, a church is like, is we're supposed to gather together, right, as the church. That's what we're doing tonight. We congregate, right? That's what we're going to do. That's the point of the church, is to congregate together, to, to be together as one body, right? And the, 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 uh, causing the divisions and separating themselves is saying that they're trying to break that up, right? They don't want that to happen. Think of 2020, right? But... Uh, they're sensual, they're worldly, right? That's what the word sensual. So they're mockers, and the last time you should walk, and they that separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit, right? So a sensual person is just a very worldly person. They live for self. They're living for the things of this world. They, just like we were just singing earlier, this world's not our home. We can't live for the things in this world. We have to live for our inheritance that's incorruptible, right? They're without the Holy Spirit. They're unsaved. You're there in Romans 8. Let's look at uh, Romans 8, verse 9. It says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, listen to this, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Right? And so that's a very important text there. And so we must remember to to pay attention to these things. So go ahead and turn back to uh, Jude there. So according to Jude in verse 4, look at this. It says here, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we have to remember that this stuff that's going on here, these different things that's happening, it, it's happening within the church. Right? So we got to be careful just because we, you know, people say they go to church does not necessarily mean they're a saved person. Right? I remember we were, we were out soul winning just the other day, and, and my, my little friend Ivor, we, we, you can never assume when somebody says, oh, yeah, I go to church. You say, oh, praise the Lord, you're saved. I said, you know, not everyone that goes to church is saved. And that's something we have to understand. And so we, there's something far more important than attending church. There's something far more than somebody say, oh, yeah, I go to church. I belong to this church. No, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior? Are you on your way to heaven when you die? Amen. Far more important. So we have a big-time problem here with this infiltration of the church, right? But now what's the solution? All right, this is going to be our part. This is the good part. This is going to be this is where it's going to get real good here. Because what's going to have to happen is we're going to have to do something, right? We're going to have to move. We have to get busy for God, right? We have to to do something. This is verse 20 through 25. So look at verse 20 here. It says, uh, but ye, there that word is again, beloved. He's saying, remember, I still love you. He says it twice, amen? He could have said it once and it made me happy, but he said it again here in verse 20. I love it. And so he says, I love you. Now listen to me. Just listen up. I love you. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Okay, so, so we have this part that we have to do something. Building up, right? What's it say there in, in verse 20 uh, there? It says building up who? 
building up yourselves, right? To build up yourself. So, so when you talk about a building, what does God have in mind? So if you think of a building, it's 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we have to keep that in mind, that what we're building toward and what we're doing toward in this life as Christians is not for this world, right? And we're, we're building toward something eternal, right? And it's far greater than anything on this earth. And to build ourselves on the most holy faith. And so a holy faith is something that's set apart, right? Like he talked about being sanctified here in verse 1, right? We're sanctified people. Like the church is, when he's, when he's talking about being set apart, about being holy, the church is a set apart people, right? A, a set apart gathering. That's what the church is. And so the holy part there is to be set apart, to, again, to gather together, to be separated, Right? I don't know about you, but I came here tonight so I can separate myself from the world out there, right? And so basically, when you're building yourself up, and when it says that in verse 21, keep your, uh, sorry, verse 20, it says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. So basically, what you're doing is you're starting to live a godly life, right? You're going to start maturing in Christ. You're going to start growing up, essentially, in Christ, right? You're going to start living a godly life because of what's been done. And so... Basically, what it's saying, when you're building it up yourself, when you're building up yourself, you're not just eliminating wrong things in your life, which is important, but it's also doing right, right? So not only do we just not do wrong, we have to do right as well. And here's the standard, right? We have to do right according to the Bible. And I say, a lot of times I say, just, to, just do right because it's right. Right? You don't have to do right to try to impress somebody. You don't have to do right for any other reason than just the fact that it's right. Amen. You can just do right when no one's looking or right you know, when everyone's looking. Right? That, and that's what we're called to do. That's building yourself up in the most holy faith. We got something in this world that this world doesn't have. You realize that that's a holy faith. Right? We have something to look forward to. Right? But listen to me, building and working is what, what it takes to make things better. Okay, so things don't just get better on their own, right? <laughs> they can't. They, th- th- things cannot get better on their own. And that sounds very simple and maybe elementary, but really, if you just pay attention to some things, things, ca- things can't even be maintained on their own. Like my minivan won't change its own oil. No, I'm going to have to do that. I gotta, and if I don't do it, I'm going to have to pay someone else to do it. You know, my yard isn't going to mow itself. Well, my kid's going to do that, right? <laughs> Amen. But, but listen to me. Things don't get better on their own. If there's parts of your life that need to get better, it's going to take work. If you want a better marriage, it's going to take work. If you want better finances, it's going to take work. If you want to be a better mommy or daddy, it's going to take work. It doesn't just happen. You don't just drift along and get better. You know what happens when you drift along? Is it gets worse. It falls apart. Or it gets stolen. Right? We have to put forth some effort, some work. We have to work it out. We have to build ourselves, right? Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Listen to this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, that, 
See, a lot of times we get to these kind of verses and it's kind of controversial because people say, there it is, got to work for your salvation. See that? Listen to me, you do not work for your salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. Right? All you do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Right? So we, and, and I'm telling you that and that's like I can say that and people say amen in here, but go out there and knock on some doors. And there's a lot of people that think you've got to work your way to heaven out there in this world. And somebody's been lying to them. And it's been coming from pulpits that you have to go and do something and be good and you have to clean up your life and you've got to do all these things in order to be saved. And it's not true. They crept in. They're being lied to. They're deceived. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about putting forth effort and working for God and trying to do your best for Him. We're not working for salvation. We're working because we got salvation. And so there's a few things that we can do. We can, uh, I'll just read these through as how we can, the, some things that we must do. We, we got to study the Bible. Okay, so 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have to know the Bible. So we got to study it. we got to know it. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, the third thing we got to do is preach the word. we got to preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Right? And that means everyone. That doesn't mean some fellers got to get up here and talk from here. No, you go preach the gospel wherever you're at, right? The, the, the book of Mark says go preach the gospel to every creature, right? That's what we're supposed to do. Go preach it. And then we got to take heed to it. 2 Peter 1.9 says we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. That's the importance of God's word in your life. Because how are you going to preach it? How are you going to communicate it if you don't read it? Right? How are you going to know it if you're not studying it? I mean, that's, they, all those things all go pretty hand in hand. And listen to me, you can preach it if you just know barely any of it. I'm not saying you have to be some biblical scholar before you go pony up to go preach it to somebody. Listen, if you're saved, are, are you saved? Then you can go get somebody else saved. Now, it's a lot better, though, when you can kind of go to some verses and, and contend for the faith, right? <laughs> to, have those, to have those things going through you, and you can be a little more convincing, right? But I'm telling you, if, if you're saved tonight, then you can go get someone else saved, right? So how is this accomplished? Look at the second part of that, <clears throat> verse 20. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying. Praying. Turn to... Uh, Romans 8 there, if you would. But it's praying in the Holy Ghost. You see how I would say that? Praying in the Holy Ghost. And I think that that has something to do more with like fervency or, and persistence, right, of kind of prayer. I'm not talking just prayer at dinner time, right? I'm not talking just prayer at bedtime or prayer on Wednesday night only, right? I'm talking about a fervent prayer life. I'm talking about a red-hot prayer life, right? Hot. You guys ever hear of a lukewarm fire? Yeah, me neither. You know what a lukewarm fire is? Not a fire, right? Like if I have a marshmallow, I'm going to go roast over a lukewarm fire. That ain't going to roast. 
If I want a decent Christian life, if I want to live a Christian life and be used by God, if I want to be sanctified for the master's use and be holy in the master's hands as an instrument to lead people unto the Savior, I need it to be red hot. Much like a fire needs to be there to roast a marshmallow. That may sound like a foolish illustration, I don't know, but I'm talking about not being lukewarm in your prayer life. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid most of us are. Right? That, that's been kind of, I'm just saying that because that's what Pastor DeGarmo says. So, I, you know. But I, I, what I'm saying is we could always have a better prayer life. We could always have a better prayer life. If you're sitting here saying, oh, I got a pretty good prayer life, well, it'll probably, probably be better. Right? I know mine can. Amen? And it should be hot. It needs to be this fervent, that, and it's praying in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is, is not a light thing to be praying in, right? Fervency, uh, persistence. We need to pray and pray and then pray some more, right? Ephesians 6, 8 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That's pretty serious. And you're there in, in, Romans, in uh, Romans 8. Let's look at verse 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Let me go ahead and go back to the book of Jude. But you see there in those, in those, chat, in those verses there, that the, if we're not praying in the Holy Spirit, then it's of no use, really. Because oftentimes we already know what we need to pray, but the Spirit knows. And if we can be in tune with that, if we can be abiding in Christ and lining up with that, then our prayer life is going to excel, right? Now let's look at verse 21. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord, Je- uh, Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And so you see verse 1 there, if you look over there, it says, and preserved in Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 1? So the word keep, like in verse, it says keep yourselves, it's kind of the same word there, preserve and to keep. Okay, and so we have to realize that, um, that we're kept by God, right? And you guys realize that tonight, that you're, you're actually kept by God himself? And so that's a big deal, and so we need to keep ourselves, knowing that truth that we're kept by God, we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. Does that make sense? So the definition to keep is if you think of how do you keep yourself in the love of God? To keep is to guard from loss or injury. Guard yourself from loss or injury or to keep, basically to keep your eye on something. Right? You've got to protect yourself. Against what? Well, worldliness and false teaching. Right? It's kind of what we're talking about here. And so if you quickly just turn to 1 John chapter 2, we can go through some, some verses here. But if we're keeping our eye on something, if we're doing something, if we're, if we're keeping ourselves in the love of God, that means that we have to be moving toward God. We have to move toward God. We, remember what I said, if we're going to be building ourselves, then we need to be going toward God. We need to be doing something. We need to keep ourselves in the love of God. And in 1 John chapter 2, we're going to learn what the love of God is. Because what's the love of God? It says, that sounds really good, that keep yourselves in the love of God. Hey, keep yourself in the love of God. Well, what does that mean? Right? What is the love of God? Right? And that's a pretty <laughs> a big definition, right? But look at 1 John 2, chapter 5. <clears throat> it says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. 
Hereby know that we are in him. Now go over a couple pages to 1 John 5. 1 John 5. Chapter 1 John 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. And in uh, Romans 13, 10, I'll just read this one. I have to flip there. It says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So what's the love of God? Keeping his commandments. What do you got to do to keep God's commandments? You got to do something. And he might be singing, well, that sounds pretty religious or legalistic, doesn't it? No, it's Bible. Right? We can't just sit back and not do anything because we're in the love of God. No, he says if you're in the love of God, you keep his commandments. It's very clear. We can't be lazy. We can't just sit back. We have to arise and go if you were here on Sunday night. Get up and do something. It's not... uh, Also, verse 21, if you look at that, verse 21, it says, uh, looking for the mercy of our Lord and Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Well, back to Jude, sorry. So what Jude's doing here is he's looking for the return of Jesus Christ, a literal return of Jesus Christ. And so we have to look for that as well. And then this also speaks in eternal security. I don't know about you, but I believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. Right? You can't work your way into salvation, so you can't behave your way out of it. Amen? He says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? If, if, if you could somehow lose that, it wouldn't be very everlasting, would it? Right? It, it's, it does, that doesn't make sense logically. Right? And so that's kind of talking about that, and we could talk another hour about eternal uh, security, but I won't do that tonight. But we just have to understand that's kind of the idea here as we read this stuff, that we are secure in Christ. We're secure. And one verse I like to use in this is, is John 10, 20 and 29. It says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's no man. That means you. All right, once, you're, once you're in God's hand, that's it. Okay, you, No man can pluck you out. And so we have to, we have to understand that. that. And that's one of those things. You've you got to know these verses to, under, to, to go preach the gospel. And so what's our purpose? Our purpose in verses 22, if you're back in Jude there, I hope. Verse 22, this is kind of like our purpose. <clears throat> it says, and some have compassion, making a difference. Verse 23, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. That's our purpose. If you would flip to Matthew chapter 14, please, Matthew 14. And while you're flipping, I'm going to ask you a question. What is one word that could describe the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? Compassion. Right? We could learn much from our Lord in our level of compassion we have toward others. Could we not? I always like to underline that word because it's got to be a reminder to me. Right? Because my tendency is to go up and get in someone's face and tell them. And <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So if we're in Matthew 14, Matthew 14, uh, look at verse 14 there. 
Because we're going to, what we can do is when we read the Bible, you read about so much compassion when it comes to the Lord. And there's so much, I just picked out some ones and we could flip through in Matthew. Matthew 14, 14. It says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. He was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Now go to Matthew 15, just a little further along. Matthew 15, verse 32. Matthew 15, verse 32 says, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I will send them away fasting unless they faint in the way. I'll go a little further in Matthew, to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20. And look at verse 13. So Jesus, Matthew 20, verse, not 13, good night. 20, 34 says, So Jesus had compassion on them. And touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now, I'd like to stand here all night and just list all the compassion Jesus had. You go to Mark, uh, you can flip back to Jude, but if you go to Mark 1, you're talking about he had compassion on a leper. You go to Mark 5, the demon-possessed man, he says, he said, I want you to stay here, I want to go with you. And he says, no, go tell him how I had compassion on you, right? Uh, Mark 6, 34, he saw people and he had compassion, like they were sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. Now listen to me. Jesus didn't have, just have compassion on these people. He was moved to do something about it. He didn't say, oh man, I feel sorry for these people. I hope everything turns out well for them. No, he was moved with compassion. He was moved to do something. Listen to me. Are we in here tonight and are we moved to go do something? Do you realize that there's a lost and dying world out there? They're dying and going to hell? I mean, every weekend, door after door after door, these people, they don't even want to hear about the Lord. Are we willing to go and we're going to try to reach them for this? Is that something that stirs inside of you? Like in the book of Acts, when you read about the Apostle Paul, and it said something that was stirred in his spirit. Listen, but when's the last time we were so stirred we had to go do something about it because of the level of compassion we had on somebody who was dying and going to hell? Do we, do we believe in a literal hell? Is that something we believe? Because if we believe in that, then we want to go pull people out. Because it's not a place anyone wants to go. It's not a place you want to see anyone go. Pull them out. Go help them. Go tell them. John 3, 18 and 19 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. Praise God. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John three thirty six says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. <clears throat> and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Listen, these people, they're condemned, right? They, they, they already have a place in hell reserved for them. They're going there. We need to have compassion. We need to go make a difference. We have to go do something, right? Y'all awake in here? Yeah, okay, amen. Okay, we, so we have to go, right? I love, I love that sermon, rise and go. Well, I didn't realize how many times the Bible said that in there. Good night. But that's what we got to do. That's a God's idea. That's God's plan. God's plan is to use you. 
That's what he chose to do. So are we doing it? Are we having compassion? And are we pulling them out of the fire? That's what it says right there. It says, and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. That's a pretty scary thought, isn't it? And I always hear, well, you can't scare them into heaven. Oh, yeah, you can. I'm telling you right now that hell's scary. (laughs) Right? I'd rather scare someone into heaven than gentle them on the way to hell. Right? This is a real thing. This (laughs) This isn't a joke, right? Pull them out. They need us, right? And you say, you know, I've had people say, well, you can't just come to my door and tell me that I'm a sinner. Wow. I'm not telling you that. God told you that. Right? Well, you can't, you can't go around and just tell people they're sinners all the time. Well, actually, I have to do that. Because no one can get saved unless they realize they're a sinner. No one needs, they need to get rescued until they know they're suffering. Right? We have to go get them lost so we can get them saved. So it's something we have to do. We have to tell sinners they're sinners. You know, there's a lot of people that walk around living as though they're not, never going to die. They walk around, they act as if there's no God, right? But, but we, we have to go do that. Why? Because we have compassion. Because we care about them. We love them. And God told us to go do that. It's our commandment. That's what we're to do. It says, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Spot, and, uh, so what's the garment getting spotted by? The flesh. Right? Do you guys realize that our flesh is, is a, probably our biggest enemy? That, we, that we're, our, like, I'm my own worst enemy and when it comes to all of this stuff, right? It's easy for me to come up here and, and bang on the thing here and yell and stuff like that. But really, what, what, what gets in our way the most is our own flesh. Why? Because we're lazy. You know what the flesh wants? Ease, comfort. That's what we want to do, right? We always want to do something that's easy. Our flesh always, I always say, our flesh always takes the path of least resistance. Right? It's true. That's, that's what happens with our own flesh. If we get in our own flesh, we're just going to do the easiest thing possible. Just, you know, float on through life. We must crucify the flesh. Why was Paul so abundantly used by God? Because he died daily. Right? And then he had actually had Satan himself trying to stop him, right? I think oftentimes what stops me is just my own flesh. Right? That's pretty easy for him. Because I'm, I'm getting in my own way, right? <clears throat> Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We live by faith, right? Not in the flesh, because it says there to hate even the garment that's stained by it. Right? We've got, we got, we got to be dying daily, like, like Paul, like I said. And, uh, you know, I deal a lot with inmates down in the local jail on a weekly basis. And you know what I see in there? I see a lot of really sharp fellows. I often look to them and say, why are you in here? I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. And they get out, and then guess what? I see them right back in there. I say, man, why, why are you doing back in here? And they just, like, I didn't see you out there while you were out. I told you to come find me, right? I, we, we had this conversation. Now, now we're back in here, and here you are. You know why? The flesh. 
Their flesh took the path of least resistance. And so you know what I always tell them guys in there? I say, whatever, you, whatever, if you get out of here, I say, you get out of here? Oh, yeah, I'll be getting out of here. Okay, when you get out of here, whatever it is that you want to go do, you know, whatever's the easiest thing to go do, do the opposite. Go do something that's not easy. Like, so that, what's that mean for us? So when I wake up in the morning and I just want to go do the easiest thing possible, do the opposite. Right? You want to sleep in? You want to hit the snooze button? Do the opposite. Get up and read the Bible. Or get up and pray. Right? We'll have plenty of sleep later on. Right? And that's our own flesh. Is, is it easier to sleep in or is it easier to get up at whenever? Five in the morning. It's easier to sleep in. Right? Is it easier to sit there and stare at the wall or would you pick up the Word of God and read it? I don't know. It's easier to stare at the wall probably. But you see what I'm saying here? I say, whatever your flesh wants to do, don't do it. Amen. Crucify it. Kill it. Bury it. Die daily. Put off the old man and put on the new, right? That hate even the garment. And so i got to close it up here. But, so I'm going to just conclude with the last two verses. This is called a benediction. I learned this. <clears throat> a benediction, this is a good way to close. Right? <laughs> so there's our study for the night. So uh, we have the, the, this is one of the best couple of verses to close a book that I know of in the whole Bible. Right? And I, so I want to read these things. And, man, I could just read those over and over. Like, you should read that maybe, like, before you're going to bed, you know? Like, I don't know. I thought that was a good idea. So, like, I'll just read them. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. I mean, that's, that's solid gold right there, folks. Because it says, listen to me, if we fall, like, I'm talking about all this stuff, and are we going to be perfect at any of it? No, we can't. Why? Because we're still in the flesh. Right? But can we be better? Can we grow? I think we can. And I think, I think everyone in here, listen to me, if we could all just go out and be obedient to, if, if God could truly get a hold of every single person in here, we could change this whole city. You know, I, I'll have, I'll have uh, eight or nine, ten inmates sitting in a room, and I say, you guys listen to me, you know what the potential sitting in here is? If you guys could, if we could all just get a hold of God, like the ten of us in here, we could, this place could be empty. For real. If we could go out and just, just blaze a trail for God, there's no telling what would happen here. And I know pastors have been talking about it for as long as I've been here. And it could, listen to me, it could happen like now. Like tonight, like, to, like this week. Right? Look at, look at how many people are in here. Good night. We could change this whole world. And listen to me, if we fall, it's not God's fault. And how do I know that? Well, because it says right there, he keeps us from it. He keeps us from falling. Right? <clears throat> he keeps us from it. We, so we in Christ will one day be presented faultless. Right? So I'll just close by saying this. In our keeping ourselves in the love of God, remember to do it with joy. Right? With the... Get you a smile on your face. Right? And some of us have to work on that a little harder than others. And I'm not going to mention any names. <clears throat> but let's get a smile on our face. This is a good... We're doing God's work here. Man, well, there's nothing better we could be doing. Remember, it says we do the commandments, and what? The commandments are what? Not grievous. 
right? If they're becoming grievous, if we start dreading doing the things of God, then we're probably in the flesh. All right, so we need to crucify that. So we do it with joy, right? Someone slams the door in your face or whatever. Just go on to the next door, amen? Or if you're talking to someone at the store and they ignore you, just go on to the next person that wants to listen to you, right? Just keep it, I mean, that's all we can do, right? We're just trying to pull them out of the fire, you know? No big deal. So we do it with joy and giving God the glory in all of it, Right? We give God the glory. Let's pray.